G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. When I went to the funeral, I was kind of unemotional. But then when I went to a church and they played that How Great Thou Art, you know, which was my dad's favorite hymn, it just hit me. And, and I sobbed uncontrollably a mess. And I, I was so embarrassed because, I mean, it was the first time we'd gone to this church. And uh, my son, three-year-old son, turns around and he says, we are never going to church again because it makes daddy cry. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Hilton Edwards was born and raised in South Africa, didn't have any interest in Christianity when he became an adult. Then, several weeks after his father died, he finally decided to go to church. But when they played his father's favourite hymn, he started to sob uncontrollably for 20 minutes. He decided he didn't dare to go back. Fast forward to today, and Hilton has been a Christian for over 20 years and is the CEO of Bible League Australia. What brought about this complete change in his life? We'll find out as Hilton Edwards shares his story with us today. Hilton's having a chat and sharing his story with Eric Scatterbo in our Melbourne studios. Hilton Edwards, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's really great to be here and just to share a little bit more about you know what's happened in my life. Yeah, so I, I want to find out about this crying uncontrollably for 20 minutes. Obviously, it touched something deep inside of you at that time. Yeah, what happened was, uh, you know, my father had had multiple sclerosis, so he'd really gone downhill for nine years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was in a wheelchair, and he'd gone to volunteer at a church, and he'd come to faith oh, late okay. in his life. Mm-hmm. Um but I hadn't yet come to faith, and so I didn't really get it. I didn't really mm-hmm. understand what he was going through or, or what he had gone through. And when I went to the funeral, I was kind of disconnected. And you, know. you didn't cry then? No. Oh, okay. No. So I was I was totally sort of unemotional. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think in in the sort of South African context, you know, blokes don't cry. You know, like it's it's mm-hmm. you're, you're a tough man. Don't cry. You know, kind of thing. And so it was strange for me to even think about crying. So I didn't. But then mm-hmm. when I went to a church and they played that How Great Thou Art, mm-hmm. you know, which was my dad's favorite hymn. Yeah. Uh, he's from Welsh origin and, and, and it, it just hit me mm-hmm. and I just broke. I just, Something about that song and that context of yeah. being in church yeah. just really touched you deeply. Totally. It, it, it just, I felt just like an overwhelming presence of something I, mm. I didn't i couldn't explain it yeah because you weren't a christian or anything no. at that time <laughs> so i couldn't explain it but but i just felt like there was some overwhelming presence and mm. and i for the first time i was actually able to grieve my father's death mm. because i hadn't grieved yeah i hadn't grieved that 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 he'd passed away you, you know? kind of just stuffed your feelings down up that until was it then. you know and i think also because he died slowly you know when, mm. when you have multiple sclerosis and you're going downhill on a on a slow basis uh you kind of more prepared for it i suppose in yeah. some way um, and and the disconnect and and you know he'd been an alcoholic earlier on and so so that was like you know we, we really weren't 
a close uh, you know sort of family but mm. but I had a relationship with him so so there was a whole lot of things that were bundled together uh, and then that, the dam broke so and to then speak. the dam broke yeah, yeah. And, and and I sobbed yeah uncontrollably a mess okay. and I, I was so embarrassed because I mean it was the first time we'd gone to this church and uh, you know we'd gone to this church because yeah I'd been transferred we were looking for friends really yeah and um, it was my son three old son turns around and he says we are never going to church again because it makes daddy cry hmm wow and i mean and, that, and you decided to do that not go to church yeah for 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 probably about another year we didn't mm. <laughs> i didn't venture into church especially not that church in fact oh. I, i've never been back to that particular <laughs> church well, i was that crying guy again <laughs> yeah <laughs> might have got a reputation well there's more to that story we want to find out what led up to all the events in your life that led up to that pivotal moment in your life. So let's go all the way back to, well, where were you born and raised in South Africa? So I was born in a town called Port Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and uh, I always equated quite similarly to Adelaide. It, it had a, a motor industry, which was now mm-hmm. gone. It had you know, a number of things that Adelaide has. It, it was very similar. So population-wise, climate-wise, um, that was really it. And I was born in Port Elizabeth. Um, my parents got divorced when I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, so he really used to drink the rent money. That, mm. that was his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got evicted by uh, property after property after property and got thrown out onto the street numerous times. Now, oh, I obviously wow. didn't know that because yeah, I was a baby. baby. Yeah. But um, you know, I found out about that later on mm. in life. And, and it was only really when, when my mom divorced my dad and then put her pride in her pocket and, and went back to her family and said, look, you know, we're we're at rock bottom right now. Mm. Um, you know what are we going to do? And then and then she started you know getting her life back together, and uh, eventually we moved into a really small apartment. I can remember, uh, you know, we only had one bedroom. Mm. And, you know, so I used to sleep in the lounge and things like that. And you know, it was it was like really really we we were really poor. Mm. How uh, many brothers and sisters? I've got a, one sister. So okay. my mum, my sister, and and myself. And mm. uh, yeah, it was it was really you know difficult. Um, I, ca- I can remember sometimes, you know, my mom sort of giving us food and saying, oh, she wasn't hungry. Now I know it wasn't the case of she wasn't hungry. It was a case of, well, that was all we had. Wow. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I think when you look back, you can see some of those things that happened, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, she she's a strong woman and, and she… Strong Christian? Yeah, strong Christian. Uh, you know, and she used to take us to… To Sunday school every single week. I was never mm-hmm. really interested. I, you know, I kind of went because my mom dragged me yeah. you know, yeah. to, to Sunday school. Uh, you know, she was a strong Christian, and um, in fact, my sister came to faith earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I phoned my sister and told her I'd become a Christian, she says, "I've been praying for you for about thirteen years." Oh wow! So, wow. So, yeah, um, but but yeah, so. I really wasn't interested. You know, I'd, I'd go just because my mom was going and, mm. you know, I couldn't be at home on my own. Um, and so that was it. And then really in my teen years, I, I went off tracks. I, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, did the alcohol, the drugs and everything. And, and yeah, just totally went off the tracks. Um, and so, and then, yeah, enrolled in, in fashion design, which was totally against my whole sort of family thing. Um, How so? Well, I mean, it's not the obvious choice no, for it's, it's a bulky the- bloke. <laughs> yeah. Type of guy, yeah, and and that was the thing, you know. I, I'd gone through schooling and I'd done well at accounting, and I, and, you know, and our family was accountants and lawyers or businessmen, mm. you know, and, and that was like the only thing. And you, you want to go into fashion? Yeah. <laughs> how, how does that figure? Well, you know, I came to the end of my year twelve, and 
well, not quite the end, September of the fi- of my final year at school, and I thought, I don't want to become an accountant. Hmm. You know, I don't even want numbers be- weren't for you. <laughs> well, I was good at it, but it it didn't excite me. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. it, there was nothing about it that actually, you know, sort of the only thing I thought about was the fact that I could potentially make decent money, and that would be a you know a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was all. And then I went to a Technicon open day, which is probably like a TAFE sort mm-hmm. of here, mm-hmm. and, and it had open day. And I went and explored the the art department, and in the art department was fashion design. And so I decided I'm going to study fashion design. Were you into clothes and stuff? No, no. <laughs> well, when I look back, when I was very young, my mum never sewed. She owned a sewing machine. And she never sewed. And in actual fact, one of the first things I ever sewed was clothes for my teddy bear. Oh, <laughs> so, that started early. <laughs> yeah, so it did. It started early. So actually, like at, at age five, I, I sewed clothes for my teddy bear. At age five, I sewed my mum an apron. It was way too small for her body, but but I sewed this apron for <laughs> you her. You tried. I, I gave it to her. You yeah. Know what I mean? And so, so there were seeds in your life before this. There were, yeah. And and I, I think that was that was it. You know, I kind of. I'd never explored anything creative. Hmm. And we all know we've got two sides to our brain, you know, mm-hmm. a creative side yeah. and a different side, you know, kind of thing. And I'd never explored that. And so I suppose part of it was the rebellious side of me because I was, you know, sort of just going the wrong way kind of hmm. thing. And the other thing was that, yeah, I'd never done anything creative. So I thought, let's explore something creative. But my family were not very accepting of that at all. You know, I was just the black sheep of the family. I was not <laughs> quite cast out, but, but I had to fend for myself to a large extent, yeah. Interesting. The black sheep of the family because he wanted to go into fashion. Yeah. How did that go? Well, you know, I went into fashion and I was useless as, at it at the beginning <laughs> because I'd never drawn. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, literally the lecturers used to just cross my stuff out and hand it back to me and say, when you can draw, come back. Oh, wow. Which is pretty harsh. Yeah. And when I look at the drawings now, I'm, yeah, I'm ashamed of them. So, so it's probably a good thing they did that. But the, the good thing was that they actually taught you to draw. Oh, okay. So I learned to draw. And so eventually what was happening was I was getting reasonably good marks. Mm-hmm. And in fact, on subjects like sewing, I was the top in the, in the, in the, in the whole class. Oh, wow. So it was an interesting course. And, but I realized when I was doing it that, I was never going to be a fashion designer in what I wanted to be, which mm. was, you know, I think probably the the top one or two percent of the class would have eventually become fashion designers. Mm-hmm. The rest would have been in the fashion industry, but not actually doing design. They would have been mm. a clothing factory manager or a pattern making manager mm. or something like that, or a you know fabric you know buying manager or something like that. Yeah, and, and they wouldn't have actually done what what I really wanted to do, which yeah. was design. And, and so, you know, so. So here you were in this creative world yeah. doing what you enjoyed, and then you go from that world to the army. I mean, yeah. talk about a contrast, <laughs> but you had no choice. Is no, that right? I had no choice. No. So, you know, everybody in South Africa at that stage had to do two years of conscription. Mm-hmm. So I literally, yeah, went into the army, and it was it was funny because I got mocked. Did you all- bring your sewing material? Yes. yes. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to share that. You okay, see, yeah. I went into the army with my sewing machine in my one hand really and my golf clubs over my other arm <laughs> did and, they allow that yeah so it, it was interesting though because a lot of people mocked me obviously i mean this is a tough place you're you're yeah. gonna be a fighter we're gonna train you to kill people you know look at that guy with the sewing machine <laughs> no, i'm the guy with the sewing machine so i got called the softy you know he, look at look at you know he's coming out with his sewing machine in there but the i was taking a mental note of that so the mm. people who mocked me mm. i would charge double <laughs> <laughs> 
So you had a business mind after I, all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so when I went into the army, I be, well, I used to barter. So I'd trade off like, you know, somebody could make my bed, somebody could iron my clothes, and I'd sew for them. But then beyond that, I'd also do, you know, sewing for money. So I, yeah. I, now, I, why would they need you to sew stuff? Well, you've got army clothes and, and if you, what they called jipponata, which I mean, <laughs> is actually, I have no idea what that is. I know. It's an Afrikaans word, but what it means is it means a, a fake seam. So, uh, but you'd sew it in. So the, the army clothes didn't come like that. But if you wanted to make sure that you ironed them correctly every single time, which is obviously the requirement for the army, if you sewed in the seam, it would always be there. Hmm. And so when you stood inspection, you were right. Oh, So okay. you had these really sharp looking pointed seams. Oh, so your fashion sense actually helped you in the army. Yeah. It Who did, would have because, thought? Yeah. Because I used to sew these jipponata, as they call them, and, and I used to sew these into into. I didn't know anything about this. I'm learning so much here. <laughs> so I, I'd sew, like yeah. literally I'd sew, and, and other guys would do all my other stuff for me. Oh, there you go. And then I'd, I'd, I'd also, you know, charge. Who is the softy now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> There's it, you know. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Hilton Edwards from South Africa, who's sharing his life journey with us and how he eventually becomes the CEO of Bible League Australia. We'll hear more of Hilton's story, including the time he began to cry uncontrollably at church when they played his father's favourite hymn. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Hilton Edwards, who is originally from South Africa. Hilton is sharing his life journey and what led to him breaking down and crying at church several weeks after his father died. But first, we're going to hear more of Hilton's experiences in the South African military as he continues his chat with Eric Scatterbo. The third day of officers course, they actually called me in and said, look, do you want to stay here you know, and be a tough guy and become an officer? Or do you want to go off and you know, be a softie and, and just go and do graphic design? Because they didn't have fashion designers in the army, but they had graphic design posts. Mm-hmm. So off I went and I, I did I did graphic design for the next year and a half of my army. Oh, And actually at that camp, I went in with, again, with my sewing machine and my <laughs> golf clubs. The officer commanding of that camp played golf. Oh. So I became his golfing partner. And it's I'll, just working out for you all over the place. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I also ended up sewing a whole lot of dresses for his wife because he was one of the top-ranking officers in the South African Army. And so he would go to all these you know, fancy balls and yeah. events and things, and I, I would end up being the designer and the, and the seamstress for his you know, wife's dresses. <laughs> your Army experience doesn't sound like any other Army experience I've ever heard. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It totally wasn't. You know, it, it, because people used to say to me, but what did you do? I said, most of the time I sewed. In the Army? In the Army, yeah. That is unique. Yeah, because all I'd do was I'd trade off the stuff that I was supposed to be doing, like preparing for inspections and ironing clothes and you know making beds to a pristine standard and all those other stupid things that you've got to do yeah. as part of the discipline cycle. Yeah. 
And I was just trading off all those things to you, do saying. So I you just, were beating the system. Yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. Okay, so what happened after the army then? So after the army, I I went to Cape Town. So I'd been born in Port Elizabeth and then went to the army, which uh, you know was far away. It was near the, near the border mm-hmm. of the country. And then I ended up in Cape Town. And when I got to Cape Town, my car broke down. So <laughs> I had very little money. My car broke down and uh, I then needed a job and so I started going into restaurants thinking I could get a waitering job mm. but I went into one restaurant and they said do you want to be trained as a chef and I thought, wow just right off the just, street they're asking you this just like this yeah so yeah. It, it was it was a training restaurant I didn't realize that at the time I just <laughs> saw a restaurant yeah so I just went in there thinking I could get a, a waitering job and they said well do you want to be trained as a chef so I said I'll do anything as long as I can earn money, you know, mm. kind of thing. Yeah. And that was it. So I actually got trained in service training as an Italian chef. Oh, wow. So another creative outlet, you know. And yeah. that's the way I sort of think of it is that I had never done the sort of creative stuff. So then I started playing catch up a little bit mm-hmm. with, with with creative things, you know. And and then, yeah, trained as a chef and, and, and later went on to realize that, you know, Chefing in a restaurant was really tough work, hard work, not a, not, not a sort of family kind of work. And, mm. and, and then – got into sales and, and, and being a sales rep. And you were um, very successful at that. Yeah, I was actually. Um, in fact, the, the company that transferred me from Cape Town to Durban, um, I joined the company in Cape Town mm-hmm. and uh, I'd quadrupled their income in 10 months. Wow. <laughs> I was the only sales rep. <laughs> and so, wow. so they were building a bigger factory to, to handle the capacity. All because of you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, it wasn't really me. I, I like I didn't think it was that difficult to sell their product because it had a, it had a good name, it was good quality, everything. But like you just had to get out there and just put it in front of mm. customers, you know. And yeah, so I got into sales and 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 did really well. I got promoted from from sales rep to to general manager of this one mm. organization, mm. and uh, but got transferred. And that was the interesting thing was I actually got transferred from Cape Town to Durban. So I was in that new city, mm-hmm. didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends. I, I'd gone from you know a sales rep who had a whole lot of peers to the general manager who had no peers because I was the kingpin in that in that organization. Oh, okay. Okay, so so I was suddenly now at the top of the corporate ladder and I didn't know anybody. And in a new town. And in a new town. You were married at this time? Yeah, at that time I was married mm-hmm. and I didn't know anybody. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was entertaining. We had a box at the rugby. We had a box at the cricket. We had a box at the horse races. Mm-hmm. So I was entertaining clients three nights a week. But I had no friends, mm. and I had a, an emptiness within me mm. that I didn't know what it was at that stage. But you know, I just felt like there was something missing mm-hmm. in my life. And is that when you decided to go to church? That was when I decided to go to church. I mean, I, I used the excuse <laughs> to my wife that we should just go to church and see if we can find some friends mm-hmm. because I knew my mum had had friends at church. Oh, okay. So you know, I kind of thought, well, she had church friends. So yeah. if she found friends at church, maybe we can go to church and then we can find friends too, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. So, so that's really a practical what, reason. Yeah. Very practical. To go. Yeah. yeah. So, and that was it. So, so that was basically before, you know, we went to that church and, and they played how great they are. And then I broke So this down. is, yeah, this is yeah. after your father died. Yeah. So this is several weeks after that. Well, 1999 was a pivotal year for me. So mm-hmm. on the 1st of January, 99, my father passed away, mm-hmm. and the the last weekend in February of that year, I flipped upside down on a paddle ski. Oh, and I was underwater for four minutes. Now, if you know anything about that, underwater four for minutes. Four minutes is very long. Yeah, yeah. And I came out of that. I lived. <laughs> yeah, you're here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
and um, yeah, and then at, at you know, at so that the, gets you to think. Oh, totally. That, that yeah. was part of the, and that was why 1999 was kind of a a, a, mm-hmm. a a change, a pivotal year for me. And it was at the end of that year, in September that year, that I got transferred from Cape Town to Durban with this mm-hmm. massive promotion. Yeah, you know, from sales rep to general manager, literally. Not even overnight. I mean, I literally went into the CEO's office on the Friday afternoon and he told me I needed to be in Durban on the Monday morning. Wow. Yeah. So your life, on the one hand, is very successful. I mean, they don't ask you to, to do that yeah. if they don't have confidence in yeah. you. You're doing well. Yeah. But on the practical matter, you're lonely. Yeah. And you just had this near-death experience and you're probably thinking, and I lost my what's father. it all about? So- <laughs> Dad passes away, a lot going on. Yeah. So there was a lot going on in, mm-hmm. in, in my life personally Mm -hmm. which yeah as a tough bloke Mm -hmm. (laughs) i wasn't gonna show on the outside but then then we go to church (laughs) then we go to church and they play that song and that just triggered it because i knew that that was my dad's favorite hymn Mm -hmm. and it just triggered it and then i just broke and yeah for 20 minutes i just sobbed in the church and just you know (laughs) Mm. so you knew well you must have been confused why were you confused like why am i well yeah i I didn't understand why i just you know Broken down and yeah. and started. Sobbing. Had you ever done that before in your Never. life? I, I was a tough bloke. Yeah. you know we didn't cry. You didn't other, other than the sewing and everything. You were <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, obviously, that was that was exploring. You know, sort of the creative yeah. arts or the creative side yeah. of, of of my brain. But but besides that, I was a tough guy. You know, yeah. done the army. I'd, I'd I'd learned to fight. I'd learned to kill. I'd, you know, I'd done all yeah. those things. Um, and, and for me, I felt like I was tough. I was climbing the corporate ladder, and I'd yeah. taken some jumps on the corporate ladder. Yeah. And and yeah, so I kind of, you know, was tough. And and, and but the reality was inside, I was still soft. And mm. and you know, I well, of, you're a human being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was what it was. It was that sort of built up emotion. You know, mm-hmm. just the sort of fact that I hadn't grieved my father, I hadn't cried. Mm. You know, yeah. You know, it was. It was, yeah, just sort so of. So it's probably a good thing. I know, it was a good thing. I mean, it, it wasn't good at the time because I felt yeah. embarrassed. I felt, yeah. you know, ashamed. I felt all the sort of negative emotions kind mm. of thing. But, and, and I mean, the, the church were really good in terms of the people sort of rallied around but didn't sort of overly, you know, hmm. try and, you know, sort of make a big deal about it. Kind yeah. Of thing, yeah. Um, but obviously for myself, I just didn't want to go back. Um, and my son said it, age three. We're never going back to church because it makes daddy cry. So mm. <laughs> so at this point, it looks like, okay, he had an emotional experience, but doesn't look like he wants to go to church ever again. Yeah. But, but. what happened? <laughs> well, that was it. You know, some time went past, probably, probably nearly a year, and um, inside I still felt an emptiness. I still mm. felt like, yep. you know. That didn't go away. And it doesn't go away. And, and I, I was still trying to, then I was starting to try and process stuff because I thought, hold on a minute, all these feelings, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, what is it? What, you know, and, and then I started to process like some of my hurt and my anger and stuff with my father and things like that uh, that hadn't come out before. Um, so there was pain yeah, from your childhood? Was, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think when, you know, when my father, my mom and my dad got divorced and the fact that, I mean, I only found out later that, you know, it was because he he was an alcoholic. Mm. You know, that was really, really tough. I think the the thing that compounded that, and it was a good thing, but it was a bad thing because he actually went dry and stayed sober the rest of his life. Mm. And you kind of think, did you have to actually get to divorce? Yeah, why couldn't you have done it while you were Gone dry together? before, yeah. so I could have had a father and a mother together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
you know. So, so that was a, a source of pain? Yeah, yeah. And so there was that sort of stuff. And, and you know, I only used to see him every Saturday, so you had a limited sort of exposure. And obviously, you know, that's also not that easy. And, and even when he, you know, when he got into a wheelchair, you know, 1991, when he got into a wheelchair and he, and he kind of went downhill from there, mm. it, was, it was very difficult because you kind of, we weren't close enough to mm. sort of talk deep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then I, I was processing all of that in the year after mm-hmm. the, the crying incident at yeah. church. Yeah. And, um, and then there was this, this banner up at this church that said, Alpha, ask every question you've ever wanted to know about Christianity. Hmm. That got your attention? That got my attention. But I, I kind of thought, well, I'm going to ask you a whole lot of stuff. You know, I was kind of like, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions. Just you wait. <laughs> you want questions? I got questions for yeah, you. <laughs> you know, why did my dad die? Why was yeah, he you know, ill? Yeah. Why did he get multiple sclerosis? Why did they get, you know, like, mm, I've got yeah, questions. Yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily about Christianity, but it was about, well, if there is a God, yeah. does he really care about me? Because I didn't really feel that, you know, mm, kind of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. So but you was, were honest with your questions. Oh, yeah, totally. I, mm-hmm. I was, I, and I was hardcore, man. I went in and I just gave it to them. I just sort of, mm. I think they probably resented, no, they wouldn't have resented I know, it, I I know it here's was, Hilton coming again. Yeah, you know, sort of things every time it was, you know, and, and the way the Alpha course goes, you know, you, you eat a meal together, which was always good, and, and mm-hmm. then we watched a video, and then we had a discussion group, and of course the discussion group was the part where I would just go full on, you know. Mm, yeah. Well, that was part one of Eric Scadabo's conversation with Hilton Edwards, who's sharing his story of growing up and living in South Africa. As we just heard, Hilton's just started to go to an Introduction to Christianity course at a church, which is known as an Alpha course. And it is there that he starts to ask all his questions about life and God. We'll find out the impact this course has had on him when we hear part two of Hilton's story next time. Meanwhile, if you're listening today and can relate to Hilton's story and the type of questions he's asking, you might want to check out an Alpha course near you. Alpha.org.au is the website. There you can look up if there's an Alpha course being run at a church near you and you can begin to have your questions about Christianity answered. You can even find out info about attending online if that's more convenient for you. Once again, the website is alpha.org.au. As Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Hilton Edwards' story. Until next time, when we'll hear part two, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The new owner comes in and and says, well, I need you to deliver this envelope. So obviously they were paying off somebody to get something, you know, like a contract or something like that. And that was really the, the sort of confronting thing because here I was, I'd just given my life to Christ and, and become a Christian and now I'm getting challenged on whether my faith is real. I pushed that envelope straight back and said, I'm not going to do it. Hilton Edwards joins us once again to share more of his story and life in South Africa. After becoming a Christian, Hilton is faced with some moral dilemmas in his business career and has to make some major decisions. We'll find out about the surprising course his life takes next time. The Story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily.